open our Bibles to Psalm 87. You know, with all the craziness going on in the world, and we hear about another ISIS beheading yesterday, and Jordan really being on the edge of being nervous, we see a a world very, very unstable. Let me just go down the list. I even see this uh, measles thing as something that I think the Lord talked about as far as a pestilence, and it just, wherever you look, there's these uh, wars or rumors of wars. And the reason I start out with that, our goal this morning is for you to see that God has an overall plan for human history. And there's absolutely nothing that's going to stop it from happening. Jesus said the scriptures must be fulfilled. And before we go too far, I'm going to throw some big biblical theological words on in and try to put a simple explanation on what they mean. But I want to explain dispensationalism. A dispensation is an administration, a system or a management in theology. A dispensation is the divine administration of a period of time, a divinely appointed age. That's what uh, dispensation is. Now, dispensationalism is a theology system that recognizes these ages are ordained by God and to order the affairs of the world in which we live. Dispensationalism has two primary distinctives, and this is very important. Number one, a consistent and literal interpretation of the scriptures, especially as it pertains to Bible prophecy. Number two, it makes a very clear distinction between Israel and the church in God's program. That's just a paragraph on dispensationalism. What I'm going to do, I got this uh, from our good friend, Dr. Tommy Ice, who I have a lot of respect for. And as we put it up on the screen, I'm going to leave it up for a while. What we have here on screen is different dispensations or different periods of time that we see in the Bible. Now, Bible prophecy is going to play a big part of this. And one of the reasons I want to take a little time, even before we read Psalm 87, is again to say that this thing is over, all right? As far as the Lord is concerned, it's a done deal. He has already written the book. It's already signed, sealed, and delivered. We're just living it out. And so what has happened that's been prophesied in the past has been fulfilled. Jesus said, I must do this because the scriptures must be fulfilled. I must ride into Jerusalem on this donkey, because Zechariah 9, verse 9 says so. The scriptures must be fulfilled. So Tommy did a great job of laying this out from Genesis all the way through to the end. And then he has, in the first section, creation. The responsibility is to obey God. Of course, the failure where sin entered, disobedience, and the result, of, of course, was a curse and death. And I'm not going to go through each one of these. But I'm going to leave this up this morning for a period of uh, time as we get into our study because we're going to look now into the future of this uh, uh, psalm. These psalms that we're reading here, a lot of times people will see them as um, happening and being fulfilled during uh, Asaph's time or David's time. Not the case. This psalm that we're looking at this morning is clearly... Futuristic, it is prophetic in nature, and it points ahead to the time when Jerusalem will be the city that the nations flow into, the city of God that is coming. Now, all hell is going to break out before this happens. As we go through the Old Testament, we get to um, the church age, about three-quarters of the way, um, where we have... Uh, what we call simply the church age. The church age is a dispensation. It has a beginning. It began at Pentecost. It has an end. It will end with the rapture of the church. Blindness has happened in part, says in Romans, to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And that implies a set number of people that are going to be saved during the church age dispensation. And when that number is complete... The Lord will call his church home, and we will enter in, and Tommy has it right here, with the next seven years, uh, which is another dispensation, spoken about many times throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Daniel, 
where we see it's a seven-year dispensation, and we simply call it the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week, different names given to it. Our study this morning, I primarily want to talk about the city of God, but in doing so, we're entering into the final dispensation. Now, I believe that we have been, man has been here for 6,000 years. When you do the genealogies from Genesis and the time charts, um, David, when he's writing the Psalms, roughly 3,000 B.C., Jesus, 2,000 roughly B.C. And um, interesting because the number seven is the number of completion. And if we're anywhere near where I think we are in time, we're close to the end of that period of time, what we call the church age. And what we see ushering in is we're getting close to that last 7,000 years. So if seven is the number of completion, uh, again, I've given these examples many times as uh, uh, seven days in a week and then you start over on Monday. Or seven notes on a scale and then you start over again and so on and so forth. It's the number of completion. And so we will have on earth, from creation. Again, encouragement to, uh, if you haven't signed up for uh, the Grand Canyon tour uh, this year, I'm looking forward to that as it explains the evidence of a young earth, not an old one, a young one. And I'll take God's word over uh, man's theories of uh, evolution any, any day of the week. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? Every man's a liar, uh, but we know that our God cannot lie. And as we see these dispensations, when all is said and done, we have a 1,000-year reign where the Lord Jesus Christ will return, establish his kingdom, and that's what our study is about this morning. But the center of the universe at that time will be Jerusalem. And so with that, let's read the first three verses this morning. I think you have some sort of a feel of what we'll be studying. I've entitled this City of God. And um, verse 1 of chapter uh, Psalm 87, His foundation is the holy mountains. And the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellers of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of Of God, Selah. So I've entitled this morning's message, City of God. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. There's so many scriptures and places we could go to talk about this period of time that we call the millennium or or the kingdom age. But in verse Two here, it says, it'll come to pass, notice, in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations are going to flow into it. Many people shall come and say, come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth from the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and shall rebuke many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The United Nations, having the audacity to put the scripture on on their premise, completely takes it out of context. Its fulfillment is not during our time. Uh, Our fulfillment right now is we look at a world that's full of war, atrocities that are not even speakable with some of the things that are taking place. But when the righteous ruler finally comes, when our Lord Jesus, who we want to be with and see, When he rules and reigns, it's going to be with a rod of iron. And his capital and his city, according to these verses here, is the uh, geographical um, surroundings of Jerusalem will be greatly changed. 
And we could spend much time even talking about that. Um, this, these verses here <clears throat> are all coupled in with the way the book of Isaiah ends. It has 66 chapters. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the last chapter of the book of Isaiah. And right before Isaiah closes things up, he wants to remind us of God's overall plan, that he has a plan. When you're not certain about what's happening in the world and what's going to happen here, know that it's all taken care of. God's on the throne. He's laid it all out. The word of God spells it out. And again, I want to emphasize this over and over again. Nothing, nothing can change what God has said is going to happen. You can put it, put it in the bank. Nothing is going to change that God hasn't said here. So Isaiah, closing his book, and I, uh, talks about, uh, actually, we're, we're seeing two things here. We're seeing the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, but in the middle of it, we're still in that thousand-year millennial period of time. So let's look at verse 22 of um, Isaiah 66. Isaiah foretells that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, which I will make and it shall remain before me, says the Lord. And so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it will come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, excuse me, all flesh will come and worship before me, says the Lord. Now, my Bible is highlighted here. And in the cross-references, it talks about Zechariah 14. And I agree with the interpretation because it places us not in eternity with the new Jerusalem and um, a new heaven and a new earth, but it brings us back where there will still be worship. And uh, I want you to, oh, before I do that, can you hold that thought? And let's just pick up a couple of scriptures in Isaiah 65. Getting away from the city now, just the, the atmosphere it, itself will be changed. We read in verse 20 of, uh, of Isaiah 65, talking about longevity of life once again being restored. No more shall an infant from, from there live but a few days. But an old man who has not fulfilled his days, but the child shall die being 100 years old. They say, oh, what a pity, he was such a young kid, he died just at 100. And the sinner, being 100 years old, will be accursed. Hmm. You mean it's possible during this period of time that people will sin? Yes, the sin nature will still be there. Um, people who make it from the great tribulation are still human. They'll still have a free will. There will be um, reproduction. Uh, the earth will be populated again, and these people will have a free will. And they can choose to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, or they can choose to rebel. And uh, what blows my mind is after a thousand years with the perfect ruler and the perfect king, Lucifer is released after the thousand years, and he goes out to deceive the nations. And sure enough, he has those that rebel against the Lord at that time. But longevity of life is restored. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. I think of some of those redwoods. There's some out there that are 2,000 years old, up where my friend Warren Smith lived. There's one called, um, uh, they call that uh, giant something or other. (laughs) It's a big tree is what it is, 2,000 years old. And my elect people shall long enjoy the works of their hands. So, okay, we, I told you I was going to take you to Zechariah. So let's turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter uh, 14. And God's overall plan, and the stage is now set. The way I see now that Turkey is lined up with um, uh, the Ezekiel 38 war, 
there's really nothing that can prevent um, that war from beginning at any time. And we could get sidetracked here and talk about putting flex in his muscles and, and stirring things up. And we could talk about Iran. They're the two leaders in this war. They're in the news on a regular basis because of uh, the treaty that they've been violating with their nuclear facilities. And every time a deadline comes up, you see what happens. Nothing. Nothing happens. And so we see the signposts out there. We know that it's late. But what's eventually going to happen is this final siege and the coming of the Lord himself. Now, when he left here, he promised he'd come back. And when he left the Mount of Olives, two angels appeared to the disciples. And he said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus that you see be taken up from you here today, he's going to return in like manner to the very same spot that he left from. So 2,000 years go by. The stage is set. And then we read in verse 3 that the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. We're talking here the battle of Armageddon as he fights in the day of battle. And that day his feet will stand notice on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley, and half of the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. So again, a geographical shift. Then you shall flee through the mountains and you shall reach uh, Azel. Yes, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Usa, the king of Judah. And thus the Lord God will come and notice this and all the saints with you. The Lord says in First Thessalonians 4 that uh, when the Lord comes at the, the rapture, those who have already died are going to come, come with them. Well, here um, we are somewhat involved. Let's go down to verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Where? In Jerusalem. He came to the Mount of Olives. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. And all the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Reban, south of Jerusalem, and shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from the Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel to the king's winepress. And the people shall dwell in it. No longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem will be safely inhabited. Now, it gives information on how the Lord deals with those who come against him. And I believe what we have here is uh, Psalm 2 is a a prophecy about this event, the nations raging, um, thinking they can fight against the living God at Psalm 2. But when the Lord does his business and takes them out, it gives us a little description that we don't find anywhere else in the scripture. It shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will dissolve while they stand on their feet and their eye sockets dissolve in their eye sockets and their tongue will dissolve in their mouths. They're not, they're not even going to have time to hit the ground. And the Lord just takes them out. And um, let's pick it, up, pick it up down verse 16 because now we're dealing with the city. And now that um, the Lord has returned, we find it'll come to pass that everyone who is left, and I want you to notice that, left from what? Well, the seven years of tribulation. Some are still left. Of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And so we find, just what we read in Isaiah, that this feast that was quoted, uh, Zechariah verse 14, this is a millennial verse from uh, Isaiah. And it will be that whichever the families of the nations do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there won't be any rain. 
And if the families of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall not have no rain. Uh, They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of Sukkot or tabernacles, which really commemorated the Lord taking care of them for those 40 years when they wandered through the wilderness. He provided water daily. He provided manna daily. He kept care of them. And uh, this morning, we, Paul said, as long as you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can partake and, and worship the Lord in remembering what he did for us, and that's why we do it. We do it, Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. Well, what's the Feast of Tabernacles? Remembering what God did for the Jewish people when he brought them out of bondage and he kept them for the, what, that 40 years, and that'll be commemorated on, on a regular basis. Now, verse 20, in that day, all capital letters, Holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot, where? In Jerusalem, the city of God. And Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. And everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of host. So we find here the landscape um, changing as we read uh, back in um, chapter 14, uh, 9 through 21, that it'll be rearranged. Daniel, and I won't have you turn here this morning, I'll just quote it. <clears throat> Daniel was given a whole overview of when the Lord comes back. And Daniel chapter 2, it names six, five, no, five of the uh, seven kingdoms that would have world dominion. If I would say Egypt had its own dispensation, what am I saying? That the Egyptian ruled, when they ruled the world, they had a beginning and they had an end. Well, they were overtaken by the Assyrians. So when you study Daniel chapter 2, they're not mentioned because Daniel is living in the Babylonian dispensation. Are you guys tracking with me? I'm going through um, countries that have had world domination, and Egypt was the first one. And we actually have, that's as far back as we can really go in archaeology, is back to the pyramids in, in Egypt and the Nile Delta. And then after Babylon, what do we have? The Medo-Persian. He talks about that. After that, Daniel sees the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. After that, we see the Roman Empire. Now, there has not been a dominating empire since Rome. Hitler tried. Mussolini tried. But nobody's been successful. The Bible predicts one more, and that's going to be the Antichrist, where he is going to try to come And uh, the Bible tells us in Revelation there's going to be a one-world government, right? And a one-world monetary system. I get jumpy every time I go past a gas station. Gas prices are going up again. In one place, 10 cents since yesterday. And I just wonder, should I fill up now or not? You you don't know. Things are changing so fast in the world from one, one time to the next. But let me just read from Daniel 2. This empire... That is about to come. And remember, there has not been one since Rome. Daniel is interpreting a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, who was the king of Babylon. And interpreting the dream to him, he nails it spot on. And in verse 43, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they were mingled with the seed of men. Interesting verse but they would not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. We're talking about the revived Roman Empire here. And just as oil and water don't mix, uh, here he's saying uh, iron doesn't mix well with clay. Uh, For those of you who have friends in Europe, you know there's a fierce loyalty between their nationalities. The Germans against the Swiss, the Swiss against the... 
those in the Netherlands, they like their, they, they're like their independence, but they see the necessity to have one monetary system that they call the euro. So they're, they're together, kind of, sort of, but they want to keep their own identity. It's out of this empire that's coming, I believe out of Brussels, Mary gave an update on it, that we see those signs now coming together. And as we says in the next verse 44, in the days of these kings, in other words, as we see Europe coming together on its own, and one of the reasons they're having to do it because of the threats that Putin is putting on them right now with uh, shutting off the natural gas. That's one of the reasons they're coming a little bit more knit together. But Daniel says to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up his own kingdom, which will never be destroyed, and the kingdoms shall not be left to other people, and it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. And inasmuch that you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain. Here's Nebuchadnezzar having his vision, this dream. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this stone cut out of a mountain, comes flying across and hits this image that's set up. And it broke it in pieces, the iron, the, the, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And the great God has made known to the king that which will come to pass. And now I like most what he says to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. I can stand before you this morning and I can point there. And know what I can tell you? The scriptures are certain and there's nothing that can stop it from coming to pass. God is going to establish his city. No matter what the world is going through, we know it's going to go through a darker period of time. But my friends, there is a big, beautiful light at the end of this tunnel. For God's people. You know, we had another funeral here yesterday. We had a family sitting up close and they, they wanted it to be small and personal and intimate. But what do people do if they die outside of Christ? What hope do they have of ever having something solid to stand on? But um, I said one thing I knew about Betty and why she liked being at Calvary. I said it was because we taught this book and she loved it. And that's why she was here. And um, we're here because God's word lays it all out. It's there for anybody that's willing to take the time to take it seriously and study it seriously. And what it does is it creates a certainty and a confidence. I really don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, I got these these problems here. or This might come up here. I might get a cold or whatever. Or you might have some sicknesses. But what's the worst that could happen, gang? You could die. (laughs) You know what Paul said about that? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? My terminology, let's get it on. It means moving. You think Betty, after seeing both Bettys, one Betty um, Bastia and Betty Wolf, they're both home. You you think after looking one second in heaven, they'd ever want to come back here? I think not. Somebody want to give me an amen to that? Again, gang, what I want to drive home is the certainty of the scriptures that God has his plan. And if one of the, the thousands of prophecies, show me one that hasn't been fulfilled, then you're a fool not to think that they're not, the rest of them are going to be fulfilled. So the certainty of it. Let's go to um, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43. Ezekiel 43, picking it up, and we'll just read the first seven verses. Ezekiel's called the son of man over and over again in here. And there is a chronology that begins in chapter 35 with the regathering of Israel back again into the land. That's 36 and 37. That's all been fulfilled. 38... And 39 is the battle, what we we call the Ezekiel 38 war. That could happen at any time. And I like to tell the people we're living between the pages. Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 36, marked off, fulfilled. Uh, Ezekiel 38, about to happen. 
But then, after 39, the last verse of chapter um, 39 tells us that, let me just turn back to it really quickly. For I will have poured out of my house the spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Once again, God is now working specifically with Israel. And remember, one of the definitions of dispensationalism is a clear God working separately with the church, in one sense, as the bride of Christ, but Israel, he's dealing with separately. We have, Israel has, uh, the church has not replaced Israel, as some think. Uh, Many, not many, I shouldn't say, Jehovah Witnesses, for one, believe they're the 144,000, and they believe in replacement theology. Uh, Many mainline churches believe that God is through with Israel, and not the promises that were given to Israel now are given to the church. That's simply not true. And as Tommy so accurately laid out here with his definition of dispensationalism, God has a special work for the church and a special work for Israel. He owes them seven more years. But here, Ezekiel actually sees the glory of the Lord coming back to Jerusalem. So let's pick it up in verse 1. The return of the glory of God to the temple... Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the voice of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the visions were which I saw by the river Shabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate, which faces towards the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, This is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name. They nor their kings by their harlotry on on which the carcasses of the kings on their high places. As we get to chapter 40 to 48, what do we have? We're entering into the millennial reign. And here, uh, the, the details is so precise, the dimensions, how many windows, what sizes the windows are. That's the detail that's laid out in Ezekiel for what we call the millennial reign. And if you look up on the screen again, the one thing that Tommy decided to put up there to represent it is the temple itself that's laid out in great detail. It will be there for a thousand years. And the Lord uh, will be uh, the one who reigns there. And the Shekinah presence that left there because of Israel's sin, and the word Ichabob was written over it, means the glory has departed, is now returned. And that's all what God has laid up for um, his people and his plans. Now, It got confusing for the disciples about the kingdom coming. Now, this is what they were sure of, that Jesus was the Messiah. But what they didn't understand is if he's the Messiah, then everything they understood about the Old Testament was when the Messiah comes, he is going to establish the kingdom. And he he would often say the kingdom of God is now amongst you, but he was referring to himself. And uh, they misunderstood. That's why I had you have Mark 10 marked in the Bible for you this morning. So let's go to Mark 10 in the New Testament. They were so sure that they were in on this new administration following Jesus. James and John had it figured out. Matthew's account tells us that it was really James and John's mother who put them up to this. But what they're doing is they got it figured out this way. 
The kingdom is here. He's about to take over. There's nothing he can't do. He can walk on water. He can feed 5,000 people. This guy can do anything. And so they sh- they're sure Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 35 of Mark 10, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, um, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> and he says, Well, what do you want? Spill the beans. And he said, well, grant that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left when you enter your kingdom or when you enter your glory. And the Lord, not explaining everything straight out, he said, okay, um, do you know what you ask? Do you have any idea what you're saying, guys? Can you drink the cup that I drink? And will you be baptized with the baptized that I'm going to be baptized with? He was speaking about the cross. Are you going to drink that cup? Are you going to be baptized? I'm going to be baptized because I'm going to be put to death. You ready for that? And they said, yeah, we can. (laughs) I laughed because they had no idea what they were saying. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, And then the Lord says, well, as a matter of fact, you indeed will drink the cup. You see, Jesus, knowing all things, knew every one of the disciples would die a martyr's death for the gospel. And he says, yep, indeed, you are going to drink the cup. Yep, indeed, you are going to be baptized. He knew, all except John. He would, uh, it was kept around for the book of Revelation. But then he says in verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared. Again, everything is laid out in God's uh, time frame. Now, it's interesting when you seek a position, and this is something Chuck taught so well. Um, Chuck was often seen walking around the parking lot picking up cigarette butts or cups or whatever. And he did it because he wanted to set an example of what a minister should be. A minister should be a servant. They shouldn't be seeking a position or a higher place. James and John were. And so he says to them, um, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Before Dave and Vicki Goyke left here to start Calvary Wapaka, um, they were janitors in the church. It was part of, part of the training. And they did it gladly. And um, the Lord is blessing them. But that's part of, uh, of learning just to take on a servant's role. Verse 43, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom For many. What did they misunderstand? Well, they wanted an administrative role. Well, here's the kicker. When you read the promises in the book of Revelation that to the churches, it says you will rule and reign with me, but not here, not now. In the kingdom, when the Lord establishes his administration, boy, I look forward to that one, that we are going to have a part and a place with that. You will reign as kings and priests then, but not now. And this is where they had a misunderstanding. Uh, The people at large had a misunderstanding. If you go to chapter 11, they were quoting a messianic psalm. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father. The Lord is here. The Messiah is here. The kingdom has come. Nope. And it goes from this, and Jesus begins to weep. The next couple of verses. He begins to weep over Jerusalem. Because he says, you don't get it. You don't know that you've missed it. And um, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the disciples misunderstood. The common people misunderstood that the kingdom wasn't going to come. You know, 
we even misunderstand. Some 250 years ago, Isaac Watts wrote a hymn based on the truths of, found in Psalm 98. Now, Psalm 98 is like Psalm 87. How so? It's futuristic. It talks about only things that can happen during the millennium and not now. Remember the verse in, uh, well, let me just finish reading this. The hymn is that is taken from, he gets joy to the world. Joy to the world comes from Psalm 98. Well, at Christmas time, it's sung all across the world by millions of Christians and non-Christians alike. But a close study of the words of this hymn reveal that Watts did not have in mind Bethlehem coming of Christ, but rather the millennial coming of our Lord. Observe his words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. You take this song literally as talking about the millennium, not about Bethlehem. So even we misunderstand this. Just some facts on the city of God. First of all, when you read the last judgment of the bold judgments, it says that God is going to rain hailstones, a talent each, 75 to 125 pounds, each one of them. And I like to say that will put a dinghy in your car hood. Are you kidding me? That's going to wipe out everything and anything. And imagine that falling upon this world. It's going to have to be that earthquake that will remove every island. That's what it says. So we have a geographical change, especially in Jerusalem, where we read it will split in two, and there will be a stream that goes to the Mediterranean and another one down to the Dead Sea where it will heal the waters and they'll be fishing down by En The city, according to Ezekiel 48, verse 35, will be six miles in circumference. In the time of Jesus, it was about four miles in circumference. According to Ezekiel 48, the name will be called Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. That's the city of God. Now, the king, of course, in the millennium, this is where it gets interesting as far as where David might fit into the picture. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, will be king supreme. But there are passages which suggest that he will graciously choose to rule through a vice regent, and that vice regent will be David. Note the following scriptures. Uh, Jeremiah 39 says, but they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, who I will raise up unto them. Jeremiah wrote these words some 400 years after the death of King David, so he could not have been referring to his earthly reign here. Goes on, and I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he will be their shepherd, Ezekiel 34. And afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now that's Hosea, one of the minor prophets, chapter 3, verse 5. If we can take these passages literally, David will once again sit upon the throne of Israel. And he will thus be aided in his rule by, and I'll just mention two here, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, says the church. Um, And there's a whole um, parable that Jesus talks about being a good steward. If you're faithful over a little, then I'm going to have you be over five cities or ten cities. And I take that literally. The apostles, they're going to rule and reign on thrones. The geography of this millennium in Israel Finally, they're going to get all that God gave to Abraham. 
what God told Abraham, says, Abraham, go check it out. I want you to walk around. This is what I'm going to give you. Everything from the Nile in Egypt up to the Euphrates, it's yours. Take it. But they never took all that the Lord had for them. Boy, that verse would preach, don't you think? Just think about it, that we never went for all that maybe the Lord had for us. And there's a whole message just in that. All right, let's go back and finish up this morning. Back to Psalm 87. Verse 4 says, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. And behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this one was born there. Rahab, in this verse, is not the harlot of Jericho, but rather Egypt. How do I know? Because that's what Isaiah 51.9 says. It represents the southern world power, and Babylon represents the north. The name Rabbah means tumult, and Babylon means confusion. So the tumult and the confusion of these nations will end when Christ uh, is reigning in Zion. It's very interesting to see that Zion will be the birthplace of many new nations. When the Lord Jesus Christ is there, the world will come up to Jerusalem, and many nations will be converted. Psalm, in closing, I want to look at um, one verse from Psalm 48 and have you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. So I'll just read the one from um, Psalm 48. But let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Psalm 48 verse 1 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God... In his holy mountain. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, the city of God. God will establish it forever, and nothing can change that. If you're in the book of Hebrews, most of the chapter deals with the necessity for the Lord to correct his own. If he loves you, he's not going to let you get away with anything. Just like any good parent, he's going to call you on the carpet because he loves you. And it talks about not fainting when, or being discouraged when you're re- reproved by the Lord because he loves you. And that's what most of the chapter is about, but it gradually changes and actually goes into taking God's word very, very seriously to the point that the writer here uses is when Moses was on the mountain and God was speaking. In 21, he said he was so terrified, I was exceedingly afraid and trembling. So everything that we're studying, as we look at God's plan, we should take this word ever so seriously. And if he corrects you, don't go pout and say, I don't want to be a Christian anymore and that kind of stuff. No, he loves you. And he just wants you to, be transformed into his image. But that's verse 21. My Bible says in verse 22 and 23 that they are millennial scriptures. It says, but you have not come to Mount Zion, and to, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to notice the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And this is going to end this morning on a, a, a serious note because Hebrews chapter 12 does end on on a serious note. It's a warning. It says in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. In other words, if this book, take it seriously, take it literally, and realize that God has his plans to set up his own kingdom. And so you might be having your own plans in life in your own kingdom. Well, he's got his own plans too. 
might be a good idea to get on board, don't you think? And get, get on with the one who's going to, his kingdom is going to be established. Notice it says, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying yet once more, I'm not only going to shake the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens too. That's what the tribulation is all about. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now what can't be taken away? When all is said and done, what can't they, what can't they take away from us? 1 Corinthians 13. My faith, my hope, and my love. You can take this body, you can kill that. But what nobody can take from you, and that can't be shaken, if you're on that anchor, that solid rock, it will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, then let's have grace by which we may serve God acceptable with reverence and with godly fear. I don't see that in the church today. I see a light hardness. I see a lack of reverence to a holy God and his holy word. For our God is a consuming fire. I ran across Daniel 2 and I thought, as we lay out this plan and as we lay this chart out here, I just want to close by saying, the Bible study this morning, as Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in explaining God's overall plan, I just want to close by saying, the teaching is certain and the interpretation is sure. And there's absolutely nothing in this world that can change what God's word has to say about his purposes and his plans. Amen? So a good way to end in closing this morning would be praying, thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done. Let's stand and we'll pray this morning. Oh, Lord, this is a lot to take in. I guess this morning I pray we'd be like Daniel, who is really a very serious student on wanting to know. And Lord, it seems that you're willing to feed anybody who's really hungry. Lord, give us a hunger and a desire for the things that are important and help us be weaned off those things that are gonna be shaken and taken away. I thank you so much, Lord, for the scriptures that lay out from Genesis to Revelation your perfect plan. And with confidence and certainty, Lord, that everything that you said is going to come to pass. So the disciples wanted to know how to pray, and you taught them. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, in closing this morning, we pray for that kingdom that the disciples misunderstood. But Lord, having a clear picture, as Daniel said, those who are wise in the last days, they'll get it, they'll understand that now is a time that we see that your kingdom is right around the corner. Help us be good watchmen and bless your people as we go out this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.